a guest speaker today, which we have very few guests. Our teaching team usually does all the teaching, but I've been wanting to get a younger person up here, and Sean Johnson is a good friend. He pastors a church uh, called Red Rocks Church in the Denver area. How many have heard of it? Heard of it? This church was planted like nine and a half years ago, and they are like 7,000 plus on a weekend. It's just God has really blessed this church, and Sean is a great leader. He's married to a beautiful lady named Jill, and uh, we have partnered with them with some missions projects. This is one of the couples that went with me and Bonnie, and then Doug and Beth Miller also up to New Delhi, India, and Kolkata, and uh, we are together building a new home of hope for those little children that are in those uh, broth coming out of those brothels up there. It's a terrible situation. But uh, we're partnering to make a difference. And so we've had a lot of time to travel together and be together and share a lot of great stories. And uh, I'm trying to talk him into coming up here and speaking three or four times a year. So I want you to get to know him. But uh, three little boys, awesome family. Welcome, Sean Johnson. Would you do that? He's a great guy. Good morning. You guys feeling good today? Right on. Well, welcome. Um, my name's Sean, and uh, I'm honored to be here today. I've been a big fan of, of this church for a long time, and, and even a bigger fan, probably, of your pastor for a long time. And uh, so before we get into anything, um, you know, sometimes um, we don't always do a good job of saying thank you to people. And so uh, can we just take a second before I do anything, and can we just say thank you to I think one of the greatest pastor-pastor-wife combos in the country. Can we just say thank you to Derry and Bonnie? <clears throat> what a great couple. We know most of that greatness comes from Bonnie, um, but... <clears throat> We don't need to get into that today. Um, uh, so this church I work at, Red Rocks Church in Denver, we have a few different locations. And the one I speak at um, meets in the back of, of this old, nearly abandoned theme park. Um, we call it our creepy theme park. And, I mean, it is creepy. And it's got it's everything you would expect. It's got paddle boats. It's got, you know, tilt-a-whirl, a Ferris wheel that looks like it'll kill you if you get next to it. Um, and, and we meet in a barn. That's the, the sanctuary in the very back of it. And it doesn't even have air conditioning. It has these really old swamp coolers that really do nothing. And so, as you can imagine, you know, as we get warmer and warmer, you put thousands of people in this barn and the smells that are produced... It's just God can't be pleased with it. He can't. And, and what's funny is, is I told them that I was going to miss being with them this week. I'm not going to miss being with them this week. Look at this place. This air conditioning is ice cold. I may never leave here, in fact. If you see me in a few weeks walking around shaking hands, Derry hasn't hired me. I'm just not leaving. So thanks for letting me hang out today. Um, I love this church for many reasons, uh, one of which is what's going to happen in the 1130 service today. Is This is a church um, that is excited about evangelism, that gets passionate about reaching out to spiritually lost people. And, and I love that because, truth be told, the only reason I get to stand up here and, and talk to you today about God is because I had some people in my life that were excited about evangelism. Uh, when I was 24 years old, I was living in Los Angeles, California, and I was working in the film business. And... Uh, I thought that I was living my dream. I mean, I was meeting famous people, and I was going to parties and seeing famous people, and we started to do some drugs around famous people. And I was like, man, I am living the dream. 
And if you've ever dealt with an addiction, you know that that's usually how it starts. It starts because it's fun and it's kind of you experiment and then pretty soon without you even knowing it, it owns you and it ruins you. And that's what happened to me. And, and I, um, I became a cocaine addict. Um, I no longer was having fun with it. It owned me. And, and I began to experience for the first time in my life hopelessness. Um, I have had a bazillion surgeries on my body, both shoulders, both knees, my right ankle, like I'm a mess. I have never experienced anything more painful than hopelessness. And I was just hopeless. And it was one of those things that I couldn't get, I couldn't get rid of the pain. I couldn't even imagine a better future. And so I decided that the only way to end the pain I was feeling was to take my own life. And so I sat down one day to do it. And right before I did, this one thought entered my mind. What if heaven and hell is real? My mom took me to church when I was a little kid. And I, I went to a Sunday school class. And a Sunday school teacher told me that there was a heaven and there was a hell and that they were real and it lasts forever. And so I thought, what if she's right? I'm going to be in one of them today. And all of a sudden I got kind of freaked out. And I called the only person I knew to call, the only church person I knew, my old college roommate. We used to do drugs together in college, um, but our senior year of college, he gave his life to God, moved to Illinois, and got real involved in a church. And I knew that, so I called him. And I told him what I was about to do, and I said, hey man, look, I just need a real quick Cliff Notes version of heaven and hell, if you've got a minute. Because <laughs> I think I'm going to one of them today. He talked me out of doing something really stupid, thank God, and he flew me across the country to come see him in Illinois, and I started asking him questions about God, and he didn't have any answers. He said, I don't really know, but he said, why don't you come to church with me? And I sat in a church just like this, um, and, and a guy was talking on stage, and I don't even know what he was saying, but God was talking to me, and I knew it. And at the end of the service, I raised my hand and I said, I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I got saved with drugs in my pocket. And God did a miracle. And so I am living proof that God still does miracles and changes lives today. And I'm excited to be here with you to talk about that. <clears throat> I get excited to talk about uh, evangelism. And, and I think Jesus gets real excited when we get real excited about evangelism. In fact, listen to what he said to his very first, uh, the first thing he said to his disciples. Matthew 4, starting in 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Very first thing he ever said to his disciples is, If you want to follow me, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, here's, what, here's the one thing you're going to do. You're going to fish for people. You're going to make reaching out to lost people the most important thing. It's, it's what's going to define you. It was true for them and it's true to us today. If we consider ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ, job one for us is supposed to be sharing our faith. We're supposed to experience life transformation from God and then turn around and help somebody else experience the same thing. That's the first thing he said. And it's interesting because he could have said a lot of things, right? And in fact, I would have expected him to say some other things. Like, come follow me, and you're going to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And say that. Come follow me, and you're going to be more spiritual. 
You're going to be more disciplined. Come follow me and I'm going to let you in on the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Didn't say any of those things. They're good things. He didn't say any of those. He said job one for you. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to be defined as someone who reaches out to lost people. And the truth is, for a whole bunch of us, that's easier to talk about in church. It's easier to clap for in church. And it's a lot harder to live. If we were to pull out our calendars and look at the last 60 days, would we be able to point to the days that we purposefully attempted to reach out to somebody that's spiritually lost? Is it something we just clap for, or is it how we live? And see, for a lot of us, it's not how we live. It's not the most important thing. And it's not because we don't see the value in it. We see the value in it. We want people to experience what we've experienced. We just don't want to be the one to tell them about it. Because we deal with mind games, right? And we think things like, I'm just, I'm not, that's for pastors. That's for, I'm not, I don't have a theology degree, and I still sin. And, and what are they going to do if, if, I ask, if, if I say Jesus? Like, they're going to freak out if I say Jesus. Isn't that true? Like, you go in your office this week, and you can say God. Nobody, nobody does anything, right? Just say the word Jesus in a group of friends this week at the office. Everything will get real tense real quick. Right? We don't want to do it, and we don't think we're good enough, and we still sin, and I can't quote the Bible. And what if there's a special prayer? And what if I don't get them to pray the right prayer? And they miss heaven because I prayed the wrong prayer with them. Like, that's pressure I don't need. And then, if we can get past all these insecurities that we have, and let's just be honest, we have them, right? If we can get past these insecurities and past these fears and go, that's all right, I don't care. And I don't care what they're going to think of me, and I don't care if I don't know all the answers. I'm going to share my faith with this person. Well, what do you say? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, we make it difficult, don't we? Have you ever tried to um, share your faith with somebody or to explain salvation to somebody? And you know exactly what you want to say, but you start talking and it's like, it just doesn't come out right. And, and you go, what did I just say? Have you ever experienced that? I get paid to do this stuff and I, I, I do that. I'll be talking to like my neighbor, right? I mean, hey, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, hey man, that lawn's looking fantastic. You're fertilizing again, aren't you, Jerry? You fertilizer, you're fertilizer. I knew it. Jerry, let's talk sin. Um, you, uh, you sin. I, I live next door. I see it. I don't want to mention it, but I see it. Uh, maybe we ought to do something about that. Um, the blood, Jerry. The blood covers up the sin. See? Well, no. In the Old Testament... They, they, when people would sin, they would take these little bitty lambs and they would, and then there would be blood everywhere. That's how they, no, no, no. no Jerry, see, Jesus is like a lamb. And they would put, and Jesus was on the cross and then there was the blood, see? So, um, do you want that? What did I say? I mean, isn't it true? Like, we, we get confused and we get real nervous and we make it all complicated. I want to look at a passage this morning that's going to help all of us start to simplify this. And, and, and I think this is going to show us that every single one of us, we have exactly what it takes. And we are really qualified to share our faith. Let's go to John chapter 4. We're going to start um, in verse 5. If you have your Bible, um, I'll give you like six seconds to find it. If you really love God, you'll already be there. 
John 4, verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This is Jesus. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. That's important. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Well, you're a Jew and and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, some of you, this is a brand new passage to you. And and I just want to ask you to sort of be open-minded and let God speak to you through it. Um, For for a lot of you, you've been in church for a while. And and you've you've been uh, exposed to this passage several times. And so for you, I just want you to be open-minded and and allow God to to speak to you um, in a different way than he ever has before through this passage. Because I believe that can happen. Um, This woman is right. There is a whole lot of drama going on here, but Jesus shouldn't be associating with her. Uh, You can read about some of this in 2 Kings chapter 17. But in 722 B.C., the Assyrians conquered Israel from the north. And they took the ten northern tribes off into captivity. And and there's there's historians that write about this outside of the Bible, right? And and one historian notes that they, they lined the people of Israel up. And to drag them off in captivity, they roped them together by fish hooks in their face. They literally drug them into captivity that way. And this is brutal stuff that went down. When they were in captivity, uh, the Assyrians were hooking up with some of the Jewish women and they were having babies. They'd be half Jew, half Assyrian. And they called them Samaritans. That's where we get the word Samaritan. That's where the Samaritans come from. So you see, to a Jew, a Samaritan is just a half-breed, painful reminder of a past that they don't ever want to think about. Jews don't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. They don't talk to Samaritans. They don't look at Samaritans. They don't acknowledge Samaritans. In fact, a Jew would use the word Samaritan like we would use a cuss word. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. No self-respecting Jew would be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. Now, Jesus was not only a Jew, but he was a rabbi. Rabbis don't talk to women in public, period. No matter what their nationality. So Jesus, a Jewish rabbi should have never been talking to a Samaritan woman in public. Like, that shouldn't be happening. This is way out of line, and she knew it. And this wasn't just any Samaritan woman. If you read the story, you'll find out she'd already burned through five husbands, and she was currently shacked up with a sixth guy that wasn't her husband. In this day and age, that kind of stuff was unheard of. They considered her filthy, an outcast, shamed. Nobody wanted to talk to her. The Jews didn't want to talk to her because she was a Samaritan. Her own people didn't want to have anything to do with her because they considered her shameful and unclean. Which is why she's getting water at noon. If you miss the point that she's getting water at noon, you miss the real drama in this story. See, you don't get water at noon. You get water in the morning or you get water at night when it's cool. Nobody goes and gets water at noon. It's too hot. Unless, unless you've tried to go in the morning before or in the evening, but everybody else was around the well. And you saw the stares, the whispers, people pointing at you. You could feel the judgment. You heard people telling their kids to stay away from you. 
That combined with your own guilt is so painful that you just decide, I'll never go get water again in the morning. And I'll never go get water again in the night when it's cool because I can't stand the pain of being around all these other people. So she goes at noon when she thinks she'll be by herself. And here's this Jesus, right? And not only is he breaking the rules because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. In this day and age, they believe that shame was transferable. Meaning if you're shamed and I talk to you, your shame can transfer onto me. That's why there's not a rabbi in the world that would have wanted to talk to this woman. Because if her shame transferred onto them, then they would be considered unclean. And you can't be a rabbi and be unclean. You can't do your rabbi duties if you're unclean. And there's all kinds of embarrassing cleansing processes that would have to be done. So there's not a rabbi around that would get near this woman. And here Jesus is, this Jewish rabbi. And he doesn't avoid her like everybody else. He doesn't judge her like everybody else. In fact, he gets right in the middle of her messed up situation. And he starts ministering to her. Watch this. Let's keep going. Verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Well, we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship Him in the Spirit and in truth. She's getting confused, right? The woman said, I, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when He comes, we will, uh, He'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. I think if we could talk to the disciples, they'd say we weren't just surprised. We were shocked. We were blown away. Our rabbi is breaking all the rules. Everything he's doing is wrong. And he's risking his entire career on this one lady. Not only that, he's risking our careers because we're his followers. We get to become rabbis if he succeeds. He's risking our future careers. And then I think they'd get real serious with each one of us, though, and they'd say, but when it comes to sharing your faith, when it comes to reaching lost people, if you want to actually do that, not just talk about it, if you want to actually make a difference in this world, say, we learned a couple things that day. I think that's what they'd say. Number one is this. If you want to make a difference... You're going to have to take a risk on somebody that everybody else has already given up on. And number two, when you do that, just know it's going to be messy. Because that's exactly what they saw their rabbi doing. And I just invite you for the rest of this talk to start asking yourself a question. Something I've been asking myself all week as I was getting ready for this. Am I living this way? Or do I just clap when people talk about living this way? And if not, is there somebody in your life, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, somebody that's in your sphere of influence, and everybody else has already given up on them when it comes to God. Everybody else has already written them off. Everybody else is fed up with their antics. What if you didn't write them off? And what if you took a risk... And what if you got right in the middle of their messed up situation with them and you didn't judge them like everybody else? You just served them, loved them. And what if God used you to change that person's eternity?
See, that's the way we're supposed to be living if we call ourselves followers of God. It'll change us, but it'll change their eternities. If we could talk to the disciples, I think that's the first thing they'd say is if you want to really make a difference, you're going to first have to take a risk on somebody that everybody else has already given up on. And when you do, just know it's going to be messy. That's how we live. We roll our sleeves up and we get in the middle of other people's messed up situations. And he says, I'll reward you and I'll change their life through it. And then I think the the disciples would sort of chuckle and they'd go, we learned those things from our rabbi that day. But to our own surprise, we learned some things from the Samaritan woman that day. Here's why I think this. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. The shy, timid, scared, I'll get my water at noon girl that nobody, that, that, that she's so afraid of all these other people. She goes back into the town. She tells the people what she experienced. And then she invites them to come experience it for themselves. And what happens next is almost unbelievable. I want you to try to picture this. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to see him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of this, of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She shared her story and she invited them to see, come see Jesus for themselves. And an entire town gets changed. Sometimes I think we read the Bible too fast. I know I do. I want to, I want to pause for a second. And let's just try to picture this. Picture, let's just picture one family. Picture the dad. He's a tough guy, right? In, uh, he's, he's secure. He's independent. He doesn't need help from other people. He doesn't need God. He doesn't need that kind of stuff in his life. You know a dad like this. Picture that dad experiencing the presence of God and shocks everybody. And he says, I believe. And, and, and picture the mom who no longer lives with the dad. And she's had tough time after tough time after tough time. Things have happened to her that she didn't deserve. She made some mistakes along the way. She's still with all kinds of hurt and pain. And, and some of her pain is towards God and her anger is towards God because of what's happened. She says, I'll never have anything to do with God because look what's happened in my life. Most of you know a lady like that. And she says, I believe she experiences the power of God. Dad after dad, mom after mom, family after family after family gets changed by the power of God. This whole town gets flipped upside down for Jesus because one lady shared her faith. Now, the truth is, we crave that kind of life. Like, we were born with this desire to do something meaningful. All of us were. We, we want to do something that matters. When we're gone, we want to have mattered, right? We, want, we, we pray things like, God, do something great through me. Do something big in my life. 
We crave this kind of purpose. We just don't want to do what she actually did. We don't want to talk about Jesus to the people around us because what will they think? And what if they ask questions? And I don't know the answers. And I still sin. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. And, and I'm just not good enough. Isn't that what we think sometimes? Listen, neither was she. She'd had a relationship with Jesus for, what, 30 minutes? She's not quoting Scripture. She's not sitting at Starbucks, smugly arguing creation. She hasn't even moved out of her boyfriend's apartment. She's as unqualified as a person can be. All she does is say, I'll tell you what happened to me. And here, why don't you come experience this for yourself? And and an entire town gets changed. See, we can do that. That doesn't take a degree. That doesn't take a sin-free life. Right? We can do this. And when we do, let's reread verse 39. This is what happens. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of her persuasion. No, because of the woman's testimony. That's it. She said, I'll just tell you what happened to me with God. And we all can do that. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do that. And, and I know what happens in church, especially a lot of people. I've, I've heard this a lot. A lot of people say, well, yeah, that's true. But I don't have a, I don't have a cool testimony. Like, I don't, have, I don't have one of those, like, I used to be a drug dealer, and now I'm saved. Like, I don't have that. I've just sort of always been in church, and I love God, and I've just sort of always been with You know what? Then you have the best testimony. You get to tell people that the, the presence of God has just always been with you, and the power of God has guided you through life, and just sort of kept you close to Him, and helped you avoid major mistakes like everybody else around you. That's the best testimony there is. That's a testimony I pray that my little boys have. We all have a story. And if we'd be willing to share it, God says, I'll take your story and I'll change people's eternities with it. We can do that. And we can all invite people to experience the presence of Jesus. And we don't have him outside of town near a well, but we have the local church. You have this place. Listen to what Jesus says about the local church. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three gather in my name, There I am with them. We know that God's able to be everywhere at the same time, which is sort of a mind-bending thought in and of itself. But Jesus goes out of his way to say, but when you get together like this and I'm the focus, my presence will be there in a unique and a special way. That's why so many people today, if we went around the room, so many of us would say, yeah, I actually experienced the presence of God at a church somewhere. Because it it just happens. That's why Jesus got so excited when he told his best friends, he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell can't stop it. He wasn't excited about building Christian country clubs. He was excited because he was going to build the greatest evangelistic tool on the planet. And see, we get to be a part of that. One of the best things that we can do for somebody we care about, if we want to share our faith, One of the best things we could do is stop pretending we have all the answers and stop arguing every single nuance of possibilities. And just say, you know what? I don't have all the answers and I'm not even close to perfect. But I'll tell you what God did in my life. And here, why don't you come check out my church with me? Come see this for yourself. God's been using that sort of evangelism to change people's eternal lives for thousands of years. And it's still happening today. 
People who will never get saved. Somebody sharing a story and inviting them to church and they're getting saved and their lives are being changed. I brought a video with me. Um, it's a woman that goes to our church and we had filmed her testimony um, because it was just a powerful story about what happens when someone invites you to church. And so as you watch this, just sort of allow God to speak to you about whatever you're dealing with right now in life as you hear this story. Well, I, I grew up in a Catholic home with middle-aged parents and traditional values. And I can remember as a child going to confession and not having any sins to confess, so I would make some up and then dutifully say my Our Fathers and Hail Marys. But by the time I was 17, I didn't have to make up sins anymore. I was pregnant, and I was experienced with the hallucinogenic drug culture of the early 1970s. When I was 20, I had just recently married my drug dealer. I was strung out on IV drugs, and I took my two-year-old son to the house of a stranger and left him with a piece of paper that had my mother-in-law's phone number on it. And I walked to a nearby bridge over the turnpike, and I jumped. My life was a mess. I had contracted hepatitis from my Vietnam veteran era friends sharing dirty needles. I had taken money from my son's piggy bank to buy heroin, and I was having an affair with my husband's best friend. I didn't know who I was. By the time I was 22, I was separated again from my husband after one of our many fights. My son and I were living with my parents, and my life was going nowhere. And I was invited to a prayer meeting at a local church, and I went. Um, I met a woman there who had something special about her, and I felt compelled to talk to her and find out more about that. And so I met her out in the parking lot after the prayer meeting, and I remember it was dark, it was a starry night, and we could have been the only two people in the world at that moment uh, because the conversation that we had and the prayer that she prayed with me, it changed my life forever. God gave me a new name, a new identity, a new life, a do-over. Everything in my life that I had done wrong, he made right. And um, the person that was on the inside of me changed in that moment. My desires, my values and views and perspectives, the habits took a little longer, but the direction of my life changed forever. And that new person had an altogether different destiny. Um, my life hasn't been easy, far from it, but it's been purposeful and it's been an amazing adventure. And I have three wonderful children three precious grandchildren and I became a nurse and I've given my life to taking care of the dying and when I was 50 I founded Hospice Care of America and I now know who I am I'm a child of a king an heir of eternal life a citizen of heaven and a follower of Jesus Christ that's my life
When we share our story, just invite people to church. God steps in and starts doing miracles. And I'm not just, I'm not just talking to you from the perspective today of someone who's read something. Um, this story is special to me because that's my mom. I was the, uh, the baby that she put on the porch. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <clears throat> she went and jumped off. She, she handed her baby to a stranger and, and jumped off a bridge because she was so hopeless. But somebody invited her to church. And she experienced the power of God for the very first time. And she got saved. And she was the one who would never get saved. And then she took me to church when I was a little kid, and I learned about heaven and hell. And so when I was 24, I couldn't kill myself because I knew the truth. And then I got saved, became a pastor. And last year, my buddy, my 11-year-old son, Ethan, he got baptized and went public with his faith in Jesus. Listen, Timberline. Because one person took a risk on a single mom, adulterous heroin addict. Three generations of people are going to heaven today. God just calls us to take the risks. He does the miracles. We can do that. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have a plan for every single one of us here right now. Even though we don't always know what that is. I thank you that you love us and accept us just the way we are. I thank you that so many of us have experienced your life-changing power that we have the opportunity to tell somebody else about it. What an amazing thing. Help us to do that, God, with courage. I pray you would do miracles in the loved ones around us. With everyone's eyes closed, I just want to ask two questions. The first one is this. God is already putting somebody on your heart. There's a name. There's a face. And today you go, okay, God, just thinking about doing that makes you a little nervous. Today you go, okay, God, I need your strength and your grace to be able to do this. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm just going to say a prayer for you. Yeah, a bunch of us. The second question is this. You haven't experienced the life-changing power of God yet. And I talked about how it happened to me, and you saw how it happened to my mom. And you know that God is calling you today. That God wants you to experience that today. And you just know it. Like, this is it. Now is your moment. Today's the day. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins and be the Lord of your life. Not only so He gets involved in whatever you're going through today, but so you get heaven forever. If that's you, raise your hand. I'm just going to say a prayer for you. Raise them up. Keep them up. Praise God. Praise God. Good, 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 good. God, you knew exactly why you brought every single one of us here. 
You know where we're at. You know what we're going through. And you know the plans you have for us. For everyone who raised their hand, God, I pray you give them courage. Remind them on a daily basis that the results are not up to them, that you do the miracles. We just take the risks and love people. And God, for everybody who just raised their hand and accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I thank you, God, for the eternal lives that are being changed right now. And God, I pray that you would help this church family just embrace them, gather around them, and help them take the next step towards you. I thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him praise. Lord, thank you. We love you, Lord. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and be available to pray with any of you that might have a need, related or unrelated to the message today. Again, we have packets for those of you just coming to faith. Let us put that in your hand. And I'm just going to close today with having a prayer for our next service. A biker service is a very unique time in Timberline. It's a once a year time that we do, always the first Sunday of June. And we covet your prayers because... Uh, same message, we'll tweak things around a little bit, but this is a time when it's it's the only time many of these bikers come to church in the entire year. Many of them don't even know when Easter is, and some don't really do Christmas very well. And so it's just a really important time. Some come out of superstition uh, to get their bike blessed. The blessing of the bikes is a big thing. And um, I just want us to pray as a church that we can love bikers today and that God can touch their hearts. Lord, we need you. We need you to absolutely help us make a difference in these lives. Reach out and touch. Reach out and be, be, let it be that moment when there's a breaking point in some lives today where they can come to know who you are and that you really do love them and you do have a plan for their life. We, we honor you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Hey, remember, say it with me. The service starts now. God bless you. Thanks for being at Timberline. Have a great week.